to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by Deborah Goodrich-Royce, who is out with a brand new novel. This one is called Reef Road. It is a thriller. It is a psychological thriller, really. It is set in Florida in the time before and into the pandemic. And Deborah, I have to tell you, when I read this novel... I hearken back to listening to stories of my mother's childhood. In Sioux City, Iowa, in the early 1950s, a young girl was kidnapped out of the window of a first-floor bedroom in her house, kind of near where my mother lived, and the little girl's body was found several days later down by the river, of course, the, uh, dead. That affected her family, and the, uh, Grandpa slept with a gun. Mom wasn't allowed to go out and play for a long time by herself. Your narrator in this book, the writer, says that a murder does not only have one victim, and that permeated through the entire time I read this. Can you explain this whole phenomenon? Because I don't think it's a thing that a lot of people think about until they've experienced it. You're so right, Brian, and thank you for sharing that story with me. It is a phenomenon, and it's not one I think we've examined enough. If you think about, you know, there's some famous cases, like the writer Dominic Dunn, whose daughter was murdered in 1984 in Hollywood, uh, he changed his whole life around. He became, you know, a, a famous reporter through Vanity Fair magazine for, for the most sensational murder trials uh, of the late 20th century. And if you think about Michelle McNamara, who wrote uh, the book, which became the HBO miniseries, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which was really instrumental in solving the case of the Golden State Killer in California, they are two really well-known examples of this thing that you and I are discussing. Extreme acts of violence have a ripple effect on people around the victim, and it changes lives forever. And I think like you, with your parents, I was very aware at a young age of the fact that my own mother's best friend was murdered in Pittsburgh in 1948, similar era to what you're discussing. And I think it was a time where crimes like that or the news of those crimes, certainly they were well-reported locally, but they didn't go viral to use the modern world. So we live now with the illusion that everything is so much more violent and, and dangerous now. And I don't think that's really true. You know, as the story unfolded here, there's a couple of different storylines going on. There's two different narratives, one in the first person and one in the third person, in the, the writer and the wife. And what I thought was interesting also is people who go through the, the trauma of a murder, not, not a family, but, you know, a murder that isn't even related to them, you use the term, and it's not a new term, it's obviously, it's MacGuffin, but you seem to get a heightened sense of awareness about sometimes you're a little more suspicious of things than you need to be just because you've had this experience? That is the central question, and I'm going to tell you a funny story, but not funny haha, but funny odd. My house was robbed in May of this year, and nothing like that has ever happened to me before. And in my book, Ruby Falls, I wrote a scene where one female character says to another female character, she warns her to leave a tiny piece of paper in the door jam. And if she ever returns home and that paper has fallen out of the door, do not open the door, do not go in the house, someone's going to be inside, you're in danger. So, screen turns around uh, years later. I, in May of this year, I come to my front door and there is what looks like a tiny piece of paper on the doormat. 
And did I hearken back to the scene I wrote myself? Bizarrely, no. I looked at it. I thought, huh, that's kind of funny. That's a little bit like the thing I wrote in Ruby Falls. I opened the door, went inside, and saw, you know, the house had been ransacked. Fortunately, the burglars were gone, but that, you, we could examine me psychologically. I mean, what's up with that? That I, in my writing life, I have this heightened awareness, but in a real moment of crisis, it, it was a bizarre sense of dissociation. When that happens, and the, the violation you feel... Does that still affect you psychologically? I mean, I know that you had the experience that this is based on a true story about someone that your mother knew, but uh, that's got to play with your head going forward, right? Well, yes. I mean, after the robbery, I couldn't stay in my own bedroom for months because that, that's, you know, it was, it's sort of a thing going on, this kind of house robbing, and uh, they really go into the master bedroom. So I felt more comfortable staying in a spare room, and I certainly... Uh, got my alarm going and all that stuff. Uh, but yes, it does, it does play with your mind. It changes, it changes your sense of possibilities. My husband, who's in the financial world, he, he uses the term black swan as a descriptor of uh, extremely unlikely events. You know, he, he, he's always looking statistically in terms of probability. I think because of what happened to my mother, I don't think in terms of probability. I tend to have a, a different frame of reference that anything could happen at any time. Well, that idea of Black Swan made it into the narrative of Reef Road as well. And I, I do remember reading that in there. And it was funny that you brought up the I'll Be Gone in the Dark because my sister is an audiobook nut. And when I told her, I said, you have to get Reef Road as your next book. So she went in to buy it. And it came up with I'll Be Gone in the Dark as you may also want to try. So she ended up grabbing that one too. But what is it about women with the true crime genre because it's very popular among women and I'm not so much into it as my sister is but we, we kind of rib each other back and forth I enjoy thriller novels, she enjoys true crime why do, you, why do you think women are more into true crime it seems than men? I think women are fascinated with true crime because I think there's a part of us that wants to examine it and come up with ways that we can avoid having it happen to us or come up with anomalies in the situation of the victim that wouldn't apply to us, you know, or, well, that was her, that was, you know, she lives here, but I live there, or her habits are, are this, but mine are that, I don't go out at night, or I don't, you know, we want to somehow make ourselves safe, and I think there's a weird feeling that by looking at the worst-case scenario, we can gain it or avoid it. I'm chatting with Deborah Goodrich-Royce about her brand new novel, Reef Road. It is available everywhere. And, Deborah, the thing I also took away from the book is the fact that, you know, the, the concept of unreliable narrator is nothing new. And essentially in this book you have the two stories going at the same time, two narrations. But did you find yourself not trusting either narrator at different times? <laughs> <laughs> no, you shouldn't trust these women at all. <laughs> well, I, I think Linda Alonzo's storyline... And I just adore Linda and her husband, Miguel. I, that was very influenced by the film noir, which is about 30 years old, Body Heat. If you remember it with William Hurt and Kathleen Turner, mm -hmm. that was filmed in Lantana, Florida, which is just down the road from Palm Beach, Florida. Super close. I mean, you could go there for dinner from Palm Beach. And I loved that movie. It had that kind of hot, sweaty, 
uh, gross feeling of people who were always on the edge. And, uh, you know, in film noir, the woman is usually not to be trusted. And, and I think that was a pervasive theme in that particular storyline. And then, of course, Miguel hails from Argentina, and there's quite a bit about Argentina in the book. And I, I have a new Argentina going through my head from the Evita musical as I did that. But it seems like the, the cultural things that you reference in here, that you, you got into Dominic Dunn, you got into I'll Be Gone in the Dark, Argentina as the, the writer narrative. When you put all these things together, is this just a, a bouillabaisse of essentially Jeopardy topics, for a less better term, that you've, you've kind of melded into the story? I love that. Wow. I, I, I so love that expression. So in many ways, the flights of fancy that the writer engages in, sort of her mental imaginings, a lot of that is me. I went to Argentina about 10 years ago with one of my best friends whose mother was from there, and we toured the place in Buenos Aires where those kidnapped people were taken, the people who later you know, became known as the disappeared. And it's really chilling because it is right in the middle of the city. So they would grab these people, put hoods over them. And for anybody who's not familiar, it was the government. There had been a change in government. It was a very restrictive, clamped-down government. And they were kidnapping people off the streets, students, union members, uh, people primarily on the left. And they would hood them, throw them in a car, drive them around, and take them to a place that they thought was, you know, far away from Buenos Aires, and there they were, right in the middle of the city, not far, maybe from their family members. And, you know, it was true, a lot of what I said. Something else that you did, which I thought was very brave in this book, was tackled the COVID lockdowns head-on. And this is taking place in Florida, and it was a little different than it was, uh, well, quite different, actually, than it was in a lot of places around the country. But I noticed a lot of thriller writers over the last few years, when they would write a book that came out either during COVID or just post-COVID, the book was set in 2019. And then all of a sudden, it skipped forward, and the book is set in present day. People avoided the COVID times to write thrillers, and you tackled it head-on. What was your thought process there? I was writing it in the COVID lockdown period of 2020. I was in Florida. It just felt right to me to set it there. Was there a particular thing about it being in Florida? Because I, I think Florida handled it probably better than any other state, it seemed like, from the way they handled the lockdowns. And you didn't have the, the Los Angeles situation that would come up and, and all of that. And, and I don't mean it in a political way. It's just that it seemed different in Florida than it did a lot of places in the country. I think Florida popped out of it sooner. I mean, I put that in the book. The, the cafes were opening in early May. Look, we were all stumbling in the dark. We'd never been through anything like it before. And I think it was important to use that setting as a time in history. It was real. And it felt like wartime for me in that it imposed constraints and limitations on the characters and their movement. And that's interesting in a thriller when people can't, when Linda Alonso's husband disappears to Argentina with the two kids, she could not follow. So that's a limitation that, you know, changes how the character behaves. I, I found that interesting. Was that a limitation of convenience for you, or was that, I mean, I know that it was a specific part of the, of the plot, but it seemed just very, it, it worked so well for that particular time period. It sure did, and let's not forget the face mask. <laughs> the face mask was a very good uh, device in a thriller. So if you turn the COVID thing around, it actually works well for a thriller such as this. 
Yeah, again, like wartime. <laughs> you know, if you put a thriller in wartime, there are, are places people can't go, things they can't do. So suddenly you have a box around them, and it, it defines your story. Uh, I'd like not to go through that again. Thank you very much, but... I think it worked for this book. <laughs> when you wrote the book, did you write it uh, in a linear fashion as you alternated the chapters? I do. I write in a linear fashion. You know, maybe because I was a soap opera actress, I'm a fan of the good cliffhanger. I like a cliff- cliffhanger at the end of a chapter. And so for me to create that, that transition from the precipice of a cliff to a really cool segue to the next chapter, it helps for me to write in a linear way, you know, one after the next. You write your dialogue very well. I noticed that because I would read a few sentences out loud to see if they made sense to me that it's how people would speak. When you were in your acting career, would you read dialogue sometimes? You'd think, this is not written right. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. And I, usually in film and TV, you can paraphrase. I mean, certainly, if you're on stage doing Shakespeare, you cannot, cannot paraphrase. They do not let you do that. But So I read my books out loud before it goes to a, a final... Uh, copy edit and printing, I read them out loud. It takes a long time. But you find, you know, I, I couldn't even possibly tell you what words I've repeated in talking to you right now. But if I were sitting quietly and reading uh, a transcript of it, I would realize I've said one thing or another too many times in a row, and you can correct that. Well, one thing I can't say too many times is go by and read Reef Road. It is the new novel from Deborah Goodrich-Royce. The book is available everywhere. Deborah, I love this book. It entertained me for several hours one night, and I just couldn't put it down. Never start this book at like 11 o'clock at night because you won't be sleeping much that night. So, <laughs> Deborah, thanks for joining me to talk about your new book. Oh, thank you. The pleasure's been mine. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. Florida, Florida.